This is the parable of the rich fool, starting at sentence 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. Um, good to uh, see you here again. And we have no choice, do you? That was like a church thing I just said. Wow, sorry, I was in church mode. <laughs> Ken and Ryu. Oh, anyway, I'm more, of a, I'm more of a guy old man myself. But uh, I think those book, books are both worth, worth getting. They're excellent. Um, we are going to pray and we'll jump into uh, looking at this Isle of Control. Sad to say, another one of my favorites. But uh, uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy uh, that is in you each morning. Thank you that you have sustained us overnight, uh, that you love us deeply. We want to pray that we would hear you and your voice this morning uh, as we approach and look at this Isle of Control. We want to pray, Father, that you would uh, help us to fix our eyes on you and hear uh, you speak to us and you would quieten our hearts now and teach us more about yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as long as I, as long as I can remember, I've uh, been a, a bit of a fearful person. You know, the fear of being locked in a department store, uh, the fear of confined spaces, but I also, growing up, had a fear of the dark, uh, which is quite common. I remember uh, I used to share a room with my brother. Uh, he's five years older than me, and uh, probably around the age of five or six, I had a room to myself. My brother and sister, who were similar in age, were sharing. She wanted her own room, so we swapped rooms. So I came into my brother's room, really. He had all these posters up and all this stuff set up, and uh, I came to his room. And uh, my bed was under all his posters, and, uh, and uh, one of, uh, I can really sort of now put my finger on where my fear of the dark came from, when I would think back to one of the posters that was above my bed that glowed in the dark, it was this one. <laughs> that was the Grim Reaper. <laughs> he was placed above my bed. And uh, it also um, lit up in the dark, so I'd see his face, and so... <laughs> Each night I'd go to bed thinking, he's going to eat me, uh, most nights. Um, uh, I remember that I wanted to have the light on most nights, so Grimmy's face didn't light up. I, uh, I, I hated the dark. I hated the dark. And I think more, uh, uh, when you think of what I hated the dark was, it was more the, uh, the idea of, is I can't see what's around me. Uh, I can't see what's lurking in the shadows. I'm not sure what's, what's there. And to say with my kids, uh, they also don't really like the dark. Throughout the day, they'll run around the house, they'll go into each of our rooms, have a great time. But as soon as nighttime comes, they refuse to go in any room that is dark by themselves. They've been in those rooms throughout the day, they know it's in there. When it's dark, they refuse to go in there. 
because they don't know, they can't see what's in there. They're not sure. They're fearful of what might be in there, what might happen to them if they go in there. And they project in their little minds this worst-case scenario, like there's monsters in there, Daddy. Even though there's no monsters in there during the day. They project the worst possible scenario, and it feeds into this fear and this worry that they have. Now, we all get worried. We all get stressed sometimes, don't we? We all get fearful. But being fearful isn't necessarily a bad thing. For example, you know, the kids are, kids are, are fearful and are afraid of the road, so they don't run on it. That's a good fear to have. We're called to fear the Lord. There's a rightness to that. But fear and worry uh, that becomes dangerous is one that consumes you, that cripples you, that goes over the top and shapes how you think and live and act and becomes all-consuming. And you start seeing life through this lens. And we can train ourselves if we're, uh, long enough in the, in the art of fear that almost one, one small circumstance happens or one little thing triggers something for us then it consumes and takes over all of us. And we've, we're filled with fear and anxiety. We train our brains to do this. And those of us who are good at fear and worry, we become, I like this phrase, prophets of doom. In our minds, we predict the worst possible scenario, tell ourselves it's going to happen, and then we live it out in our heads, and we expend all this emotional energy on it. So by the time uh, it gets to the end of the day, we've been thinking that nothing has happened really, we are so tired and drained. The author J.C. Ryle says, half our miseries are caused by things that we think are coming upon us. We become prophets of doom and it consumes us. And a lot of that time, the predicted doom in our minds never really happens, but it doesn't matter because we've already lived the emotion of it out. And it cripples us in a horrible, and it's a horrible way to live. And so what do we do with these fearful, anxious minds? Well, we run to this idol of control. We think if we do just control the outcome, the circumstances, it will be okay. So we've got, to, we've got to control everything. Because as fearful people, what do we hate? We hate the unknown. We hate the uncertainty. Because we fill the uncertainty with doom. So we can't deal with uncertainty or the un- unknown. So we've got to control all the outcomes and things have to go according to my plan. Because if I can control them then I can make the scary things go away. That's how we think. But the problem is that life isn't, we can't control life, we can't control the circumstances. And when things fall apart for us, that's when we end up in a real heat because that's not what we planned. And the doom that we're thinking in our head is starting to come true, then what do we do? It all seems out of control. Well, again, this morning, I want, to, I want to try and pull apart this idol of control and go to the deeper idol of fear and anxiety, and then I want to try and show you a better way how to go forward as we think through this. Let me show you the story that Jez just read for us from Luke's Gospel, the story I'm sure you know of the rich fool. Uh, it's going to be there on the screen. Luke uh, 12, 13 to 21, we get this story of Jesus responding to someone who was really sort of dobbing on his brother. Someone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell, this, tell my brother to give me money. And Jesus like, you know, I'm not the arbiter. But he tells this story about the rich fool. And there was this man who was rich and whose land was producing lots of crops. And his land was plentiful, heaps of stuff. This man sees all this stuff and thinks, wow, there's so much stuff now. My barns are too small. I need to build bigger barns so that I can store all these things and then uh, retire early and enjoy life. The key sentence there in sentence 19 is that he says, um, 
soul, you have, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Just retire and, and, and take it easy. This man wants to control his future. There's a plan, he's got it all mapped out. And according to this man, his plans mean that he's going to be able to live an easy life, a fun life, a relaxing life. It's great for him. He has it all under control and has it all mapped out for himself. Forget being generous to other people. Uh, forget it. Think about anybody else. It's just about him and what he wants and his control over the events that are to come. What happens? The next sentence, God intervenes and says, You fool, this very night your soul is acquired of you. And all this planning, this work that you've gone, that you've gone to will go to someone else. You won't even get to enjoy the stuff that you've built and planned for. And God's just saying, what a waste. That's such a waste. This man's planning control comes to nothing. He dies, and what does God say? You fool. God calls him foolish. This rich man wants to set his future up just to control the outcomes and prepare life for himself without any reference to God. And he wants to place himself smack bang in the middle. Now, do you read this parable and go, well, is it wrong to plan? Is it wrong to work hard? The answer there is no, it's not at all. It's a good thing to do. But then why is he called a fool by God? Because this man's plans were just about himself and had no reference to God at all. He thought he could control every outcome. He thought he didn't need God, he didn't have any reference to Him, and that he was the one in control and God wasn't. And so God shows him, that's not the case at all, and you're foolish when you try and act without me. I think so often when we try and make plans and want to control the outcomes, it's about us and us being at the center and us caring for ourselves. It's about our desires and our wants and what makes us comfortable. That's what we're trying to control and keep away the scary things and look after just us. But here in the story, we're shown this idol of control is clearly shown to be flawed. and There's very little we can control, especially death. And, 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 and life and plans will be thrown up in the air often. And we are the ones actually not in control of, of, of much at all. And we see here this, this idol of control lets you down. You can't control very much, even if you work really hard. And this idol of control places you at the center of it, where God belongs. But I wonder if we think now about, uh, do I struggle with this idol of control? And how do I know if I do? And what does it look like in my life? How would it play out? Well, I was saying some of the symptoms are worry and anxiety because the worry and anxiety kicks up in our life and our response is not to give it over to God, but to think, well, then how can I manage that for how I can control the circumstances around me? And things like we hate the idea of change, we have a fear of change with this idol because change uh, throws up our plans in the air. So we don't like things to be changed, but we've got it all sorted out. And if change comes up or change comes in, then our plans are out the window, then anything would happen again. So we fear change. As I said, tied up in this is become a prophet of doom. And, this, and if you're good at being a prophet of doom, which I am, it all happens again very, very quickly. It's like what happens is there's an event or a sort of external stimulus. And then uh, what happens is you can predict the worst possible outcome within a few seconds. I'll show you this, right? Um, uh, picking up on last night, my fear of being unintelligent. Let me run through that one. So it would be that I would go to a small group at somebody's house ages ago and I'd be there and I'd know if I went to this small group that I'd be asked to the talk potentially or I'd be asked to read the Bible out loud. 
Now, this thought of being unintelligent and stupid is if I read out loud and I stuff it up, that's going to show that I'm stupid. So I can't do that. So I'm super nervous when I get there. And then the leader will say, hey, Gabe, cue the passage out for me. I'm like, oh, damn it, okay, I've got to read. And so I'm like, don't stuff it up, don't stuff it up, don't stuff it up. And I'll stumble over a word, right? And then as soon as I stumble over a word in my head, what happens is, is that I think, oh, no, you've stumbled over a word. Everyone in the group's going to think you're stupid. Your secret's out. They won't respect you anymore. You'll never be a leader. You'll probably fall away and go to hell, right? Bam, that's how it happens in my head. <laughs> Worst case scenario. Just from stumbling over a word, I'm not going to hell, Right? <laughs> I predict I've become a prophet of doom. That's how good I am at it. That's how fast it happens, all down to five seconds. And it's like this neuro pathway I have in my head that I've trained myself to think the worst possible scenario. That's how good I am. And when that happens, it leads to you know, this anxiety and depression. You live, out, you live out all this emotion of this event that actually hasn't even happened yet. We let our minds run wild. And because we feel it, we believe it. Because we live in a time where emotions and feelings are king. We just follow them. If I feel it, it's true. But this can and does often lead to emotional and relational paralysis. Uh, this fear of control. We either, we either just shut down, we either withdraw, we either feel hopeless, and we can't go on. It's all, all too scary and overwhelming, especially when our idol of control lets us down, and we have no more energy or effort left to uh, do anything else, and so we give up. This idol of control will show itself also in relationships. Uh, people often around you feel stifled or smothered because you need to control these relationships and control how you relate to each person. And then if they fall apart, you quickly withdraw back from them because you can't control them anymore and they're scary. Because everything falls apart. This idol of control can play itself out in parenting. Uh, you, you, you want to control your children because you are so fearful of how they'll turn out or will they be safe. And so you want to control the outcomes around them. You care for them and you love them, but the, the answer is you cannot control your children. You cannot look after them 24-7. You cannot manage them all the time. And so you become more stressed and more worried and more paranoid about how they are and how they're growing up, what they're going to be like. And you control them so much that maybe later on in life they push back on that. We move away from you. This idol of control, it's understandable because we do, we do live in a time and, uh, and life is very much uncertain and fragile. I feel like at the moment, or last little while, we do live in a time and a culture where fear reigns. If you look around the world at the moment and you see that um, fear and worry is just being fed by the media outlets all the time. You think about, you know, just think it political here, and talking to my political advisor, Mark Dunstan, about this, but um, you look at what happened there in, in, in the UK with Brexit. There are English people uh, were really worried about all these, uh, about migrants coming in and taking away their jobs and taking, making it harder to get a home and the rise of terrorism. And they, so they decided to, to, for, for Brexit to happen. You think of a similar thing within the US with Donald Trump. Most of his campaign, if you think about it, was built on fear and worry, and it's all going downhill, and America's falling apart, and he says, but I'm going to come and fix it, I will bomb ISIS, I will build a wall, and I will get the bad guys out of here. That's what he did, he, he fed into the fear that we have there already in us. It taps in, I think, to what we, a lot of us are feeling in, in, in Western culture, and that's the idea of terrorism, right? What's the idea behind terrorism? The aim is to bring terror and to fear to the everyday of life, to unsettle us. 
Terrorist organizations want to impact your everyday life thinking they can strike you at any single time. They want you to live in fear. Then we look closer to home. We worry about, can we afford to buy a house? Can we afford to live? It's too expensive. Do I have enough money? Will I have enough money? Then we often wrestle with a big question of life, like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what life is about? What should I be doing? Should I change jobs? Should I change careers? And then as followers of Jesus, am I living enough for Him? Am I doing enough for Him? Am I being on mission? Should I be a missionary overseas? What am I doing in my life? And we all go through this. And it's worrying. And it's scary because life is unpredictable. And so what do we do? We often run to the Isle of Control just to try and control the circumstances and, and have some stability in our lives. We need to control it thinking it'll be okay. Uh, having, having Jet as uh, my oldest child is pretty fun. He often wants to be like me, and uh, he wants to do what I, what I do around the home. So we, we're doing a lot of gardening at the moment, trying to get things sorted in our backyard, and the, um, uh, digging up plants and trees and cutting things down. And the other day, I borrowed my sister's partner's uh, chainsaw, uh, battery-powered chainsaw, which is pretty powerful, but pretty fun. And I said, Jenny, look at this thing. And we were playing with it and stuff together, being a good dad that I am. And, uh, and uh, anyway, we're, we're looking at it and using it. And then my father-in-law comes over and he uh, and just says, John, just says, oh, you know, I'll go get the chainsaw and show Pops. And he brings it out. And I said, I'll pass it to me, Jenny. And he, as he passed it to me, he put his finger on the trigger and it started and it passed it to me and it came and it cut my arm. And I thought when it cut my arm, I thought, he chopped my arm off. <laughs> I really thought, I looked down. And my arm be on the ground, I'm like, oh no. Like, I just thought, he's... And, and it was, the blade was spinning as he passed it to me, and it actually just sliced my arm. It just nicked me. I'm like, wow, that was... I think we're all, we're all in shock. All three of us like... Just check my arm, it's okay. It's good. <laughs> but uh, it, we like to be involved together. And, and the other day, we were, um, we were digging out... Um, we were we were digging out some big tree roots. We got some mass. I, have, I, I had three huge fig trees. If you know anything about fig trees, you've been to um, uh, Gladstone Park. There's huge fig trees, right, in Gladstone Park. I had three in my backyard. Who does that? Anyway, and so what I had to do is I cut them down, had to dig out all these massive tree roots. They're everywhere in my backyard. So it's taken me months to get my, um, my big manic, this huge manic, and just chipping away, and Jack calls it Mr. Wacky Whack. And I... Ch- <laughs> I chip away with that. He says, give us the wacky whack. And then he gets his little tiny blue shovel, little tiny blue shovel, and he'll try and hit the fig tree roots with it and dig it out. Now, obviously, the tiny blue shovel does nothing. It does nothing at all. He likes to be there and try and dig out these tiny, these massive roots with his tiny blue shovel. But of course, the roots are not going to move. They don't move. They're huge. This, this blue shovel is not going to do the job. It's too small and not strong enough to move these huge tree roots. See, when we, when we think about this for a second, we step back and think about the world and life and what is going on, the reality of life, the art of control can do very little. It can do very little. When we are scared, when we are anxious, when we are stressed, when we try, we try and run and make our little plans and try and control everything because we're scared of the unknown, it's like Jet with his little blue shovel trying to whack the fig tree roots out. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. We can't do it. I know it's scary to step back and think, life is scary. Life is fragile. We do not know what is coming. And we cannot control the outcomes. 
But the answer isn't run to the out of control because that will just let us down and make us feel more scared. It's like the rich fool. He thought he had the perfect plan to retire. He had, he had his whole life sorted out. Bam. His life demanded him. Jesus calls him a fool. It's a sobering thought to think we can, we can control very little in our lives. We don't like to think of that reality, but it's true we can control very little in our lives. And I want to say the past few years, God has been drilling me in this. He's been hammering away at my heart and my soul. I am, and I hopefully was, a bit of a control freak. I definitely worship the art of control. It's been funny working out these talks. I think Jez and I, we worked out there, our two comforts we both preached on, I think is what's been happening here. I, I am, and hopefully was, and working on it, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a control freak, but I'm also an anxious personality. And so I need to know the outcomes. I need to manage the outcomes because I want to get away from my stresses and my fears. I hate unknown. I hate uncertainty. An unknown future and unknown certainty for me is this too scary and too risky. What would happen if this went wrong? What would happen if this happened? How would I cope? How would I do this? And I just run these scenarios through my mind. Then, uh, and then, uh, as, as you know, two years ago, God struck me down with, uh, with that Guillain-Barre uh, syndrome, which is weird, from nowhere. Healthy, normal. Had the flu, though. 24 hours later, I'm in hospital as a, as a paralyzed and waist down. And not knowing whether, one, I would survive. I had a nurse come into me when I was in hospital and said, I want to see someone who actually survived this disease. And I thought, okay, that's not very helpful. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, that freaked me out. I was in hospital. I think I was going to die. Um, <laughs> Uh, but not knowing whether I would survive, um, not knowing whether I, would I walk again. So most people I'd heard from uh, had, had Gillian Barre couldn't walk for two, three years, couldn't run for five, six years, um, and lying in the hospital bed, not knowing whether this disease is going to come up and take over my lungs and stop, my, stop me from breathing. And it's all happened within 24 hours. And I had no control over it. I had no idea what was going to happen. And I had to lay there and just wait waiting, waiting to see if my lungs would stop, breathing, stop working. I remember it was Jet's fifth birthday, and um, Katie brought all the kids in, and I was sitting in a wheelchair for having his birthday. Came. This, this is the worst thing in the world. I have no control over this, and I hate being here, and I've just got to sit here. Praise God, I recovered not long after, and I think it was almost a miraculous recovery. I recovered within four or five weeks. So much so, the neurologist was saying, I don't know what happened. It was pretty cool. Uh, but not, I think not, not long after, around that time, my brother was also diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, which really freaked me out. Again, I had no control over my health and no control over whether I would ever get Parkinson's. And what would happen if I did? Is that the scenario in my head? Who would look after Katie? Could I be a good dad? Um, what would they? What would they? How would the kids cope? Um, would I survive? All these—I didn't even have Parkinson's, but bam, prophet of doom. This is what's going to happen to me. Bam, 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 bam. So much so, uh, it really took over my life and kicked in and my anxiety then went through the roof. And I think at that time, uh, the, my idol of control was God, was God grabbed it and just threw it on the ground and stepped on it <laughs> and crushed it and said, you control nothing. Do you realize that? And it was scary. I was so scared. It sent me for a long season of anxiety. My, con- my control, idol of control did not stand up. It crumbled. But I felt the question that God was asking me all through this in his kindness was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? 
saying, Gav, do you trust? I know life is scary. I know life's unpredictable. But do you trust me as your heavenly dad who is sovereign over all? And before my Gillian Barra, if God asked, asked me that question, I'm like, yeah, I trust you, God, while holding my idol of control over here, you know, in the, in the corner. But God grabbed that out of the way and said, now do you trust me? Now do you trust me? And it's been a good and long and hard journey for me. But I want to try and show you the process that I was stepped through that God showed me to show how to get rid of that idol control and show you a better way. A better way for the fearful and worried soul. In Luke 12, after Jesus just told the parable of the rich fool, straight after that, he follows on and he goes into this whole section about do not worry. I think it's really cool how he feeds into this. It's on the screen there. Luke 20, 22 to 31, it says this. From this, Jesus says, he says to his disciples, Therefore, after the story, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, and what you will eat, nor your body, or what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Give some examples. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how, mu- of how much more, wor- uh, more value are you than birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your life, to, the, to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the, consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You do not seek what you eat and what you are to drink and nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you have the story at the rich fool. Bam, straight away Jesus transitions in this story speaking to the disciples about not worrying or being fearful. And I love this passage. There's a similar passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about not being worried or anxious. And this has been real, uh, a real, um, uh, God has me so much um, through these passages. And what I love here is that Jesus knows that we're going to be worried. He knows as humans, we do get worried. We do get anxious. I've mentioned before, in the Bible, the phrase, do not fear, do not worry, do not be anxious, is repeated over a hundred times. Because God knows what we are like. And he, needs, he, he, needs to, he, he reminds us of who He is and not to be afraid. Sentence 22, don't be anxious about life, food or body. Life is more than these. Jesus, again, knows what we get worried about. What do I look like? Will I have enough money? Will I have the right job? Will it go well for me? Will it work out? Jesus says, I've got it. I've got it. Don't worry, he says. Life is bigger than those little things. I'm doing the big things and I'm doing the little things. Don't worry. And he calls us to lift our eyes to see the bigger picture. But he keeps going. He says, well... Look around. He said that they would have been in the field and, and he would have been speaking in the field. He says, look around, look around at you here. He says, look at the ravens up there. They don't have a plan for their future. They don't get have a raven meeting each night and start talking about, hey, there's some good food over here. There's good food over here. Let's go there tomorrow and get it. The ravens don't do that. They just fly out there and God provides for them day by day. He feeds them. And here is the line that Jesus wants you to hear. You are more valuable than birds. If they are cared for, his logic is, how much more will God care for you? Because people matter to God more than birds. He turns to the lilies. He says, look at the lilies, how beautifully clothed they are. They're, they're, more, they're more beautiful than, than Solomon and all his splendor. 
and God does it all, and yet they're, they're chopped down in a few months and thrown away. How about you who, you're, who, who you who are made in His image? You get to call Him Dad. How much more important are you than the lilies? Jesus wants us to know and to understand that we are more important than birds and flowers, and, and they don't have to look after themselves, but God just cares for them. And if God does uh, cares for them, how much more for us? And he's saying, do not worry. Trust me. And he keeps piling the reasons why we don't need to worry and speaking of this fear and anxiety we have. He says, don't worry what you're going to eat or drink like the nations around you. They run after these things. But you're not like the nations. Why? Because you have me as your God. You have me as your heavenly Father. The one who is the ruler and the creator, who, know, who, who knows what you need even before you even ask. He knows what you need. He says, I will, and I will care for you. In and through Jesus, we can call the creator and sustainer dad. And he says, I love you so much. I've done the biggest thing in Romans 8. How I want to care for all your needs. You know, I can, I can never, ever, ever imagine not providing for my children. Ever. I would do anything for my kids. If any one of them is in need, I'm there, whatever it takes. God loves us more than I love my children. And he has more capacity to care for us more than I have for my kids. And that's what he's saying here. If I love you so much and I'm the ruler and sustainer and Lord of all, I've got it. I've got it. This is the image that he's evoking here. A father who loves his children. So do not worry about your needs. Don't get anxious. Rather, turn your energies into seeking the kingdom, he says. Knowing the one who rules and reigns. And I love how Jesus makes it personal. He makes it intimate and generous. And he wants us to get this by using this word father. This father who loves us, who looks after his children day by day. In the last sentence there, he says... And fear not, little flock. This is the only time in the whole Bible that Jesus uses this phrase, little flock. Fear not, little flock. And I think he's trying to give this sense of a, of a shepherd looking after just a few little sheep that he knows, that he knows by name, that he cares for. He knows their personalities. He knows what they need. And he will care for them. And it's like here, Jesus is trying to remind us here that no one is twisting God's arm to care for us. It says, your father has gladly, gladly chosen, you to, give, to, uh, has chosen, chosen to give you the kingdom. He's gladly done it. It's his good pleasure, it says, his joy to give you the kingdom. He's given you the greatest thing. And he invites you into a relationship with him as his children. He knows every sheep by its name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the concerns. He knows the, he knows the worries and fears in your heart. He knows words before on, on your lips. And he is your dad, this little, the father, this shepherd. And he says, this is who I am. Therefore, do not worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. The king of all has got it under control. Seek first my kingdom, which I gave you. There's so much more I could say, but hopefully what you've seen is what Jesus is trying to do is trying to remind us who He is, who the Sovereign Lord is, and what we are like, and we do not need to worry at all. But rather, the question is, for us, is will we trust Him? Will we trust Him, or do we go to our own strength and to our, to 
to our own idols and our own control and try and manage uh, our circumstances, which we really have no control over at all. Jesus says, I've got it. Will you trust me? One final thing that that I've learned with my battle through anxiety and fear and worry and control, and as I've sort of progressed and God has sanctified me and grown me in this, is what I've loved is that, and the one big lesson I learned as I've thought about, do not worry about tomorrow is, it's actually freed me up to be way more present in the moment. I was talking to Kate Murray about this yesterday. I'm much more free to be enjoy each day as it comes. I now try and live life one day at a time. I have to keep really disciplined in my thinking and let go of profit of doom and worry about tomorrow. Jesus says, I've got tomorrow. I've got it. Just be present in the moment now. More present. And it's freed me up to enjoy each moment as God brings it. See, my, my profit of doom, my worry about tomorrow robbed me of the joy in the today and the now. I was so consumed about what is going to happen in the future that I was just a wreck and a mess and crippled in each day and I did not enjoy the blessings from God that he brought to me each day. It took it away, it robbed it. And it's freeing to let go of tomorrow and just to enjoy what is in front of me because I have no control over tomorrow. I don't know what is coming tomorrow. I have very little control over that. But I can enjoy what God has brought here today. And when I get worried, and when I get anxious, and when I get overwhelmed, I've got to remember who Jesus is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've got to think back, well, what, did Jesus, what was Jesus like yesterday? Well, did he sustain me? Yes, he did. Did he come through for me? Yes, he did. And will he, will he tomorrow? Yes, he will. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and to forever, as Hebrews 13, 8 says. I had to look back to my past and remember what he has done. He has sustained me, and he will again. And I love this idea that God only gives you the strength to meet one day's needs at a time. God has not yet given me the strength to meet, tomorrow, to meet tomorrow's needs yet. He hasn't done that. God gives me the strength and the grace for each day, one day at a time, so that each day I'll run to Him and rely on Him. and saying, God, I need you again. And this relationship forms where I'm dependent on my heavenly dad for each day's needs. Lamentations 3 says... His mercies are anew each morning. And I run to him each morning saying, fill me again for today's needs. And together there's a relationship there. You know, I want to say for me, I'm thankful for my last couple of years and bouts with anxiety and struggles and God's revealed so much and he's refined me and I have a deeper, deeper understanding of who God is and I would say my relationship with God is stronger depending on him so, so much more knowing I need him every day. For me, I need to run to him every day, otherwise my default is fear and worry and anxiety. I want to say, if you struggle with this, if you struggle with fear and worry and the idol of control, I want to say, firstly, go and meditate on Luke 12 and Matthew 6. And don't just read over it, but meditate on that. And what God is saying in there, what are you speaking to you through that? Like Jez was saying, there's a book called Running Scared by Ed Welsh. One of the greatest helps for me was that book in my time of battle of anxiety. Running Scared, Ed Welsh. And I would say also, start to know who your heavenly dad really is. See, and I was saying this yesterday too, that sometimes our circumstances dictate how we view God. We reverse engineer it. So if life is hard, life is overwhelming, life is scary, life sucks at the moment, we think, well, God sucks too if he's in control of it. We, we put it backwards. Rather than saying, no, I start with God, my doctrine of God, he is loving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, he's working for my good. 
And yes, life is out of control, but I can cling to that hope and promise that there is more to come, that he's a, he's a sovereign Lord. Get to know what your dad is like. Know the promises that he's given you. Know what you have in Jesus. Trust him. And live each moment, one day at a time, knowing you cannot control tomorrow. Knowing that the one who loves you can and has and says, I've got it, and I'll give you the grace in that moment. Run to him and trust him. I just want to finish up by something I've never done before, is reading a poem to you. Um, it's a very Jeremy of, it, of me, isn't it? Um, <laughs> come on, mate. No, no, no. You can't. You can't. Uh, I have the microphone, Jeremy. Um, uh, Paul Tripp wrote this, his reflections on uh, Psalm 27.5, and he writes, uh, I love his writing, and he's just reflecting on this one sentence from the psalm, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. Then he reflects on this in a poem. I'm going to read it for you. It says this, I am safe, not because I have no trouble or because I have never experienced danger, I am safe, not because people affirm me and my plans always work out. I am safe, not because I'm immune from disease or free from the potential of poverty. I am safe, not because I'm protected from disappointment or separated from this fallen world. I am safe, not because I'm wise or strong. I am safe, not because I deserve comfort or have earned my ease. I am safe, not because of money or power or position or intellect, or who I know, or where I live. I am safe because of the glorious mysteries of grace. I am safe because of the presence of boundless love. I am safe because of divine mercy, divine wisdom, divine power, divine grace. I am safe, not because I never face danger, but because you are with me in it. You have never given me a ticket out of danger. You have not promised me a life of ease. You have chosen to place me in a fallen world. I am safe. Because you have given me the one thing, that is, the, thing, the only thing that will ever keep me safe. You have given me you. I am safe in my evil heart in this shattered world. Not because I can cope, because, not, not, not because I can escape them both, but because in the middle of temptation and trial, danger and disappointment, sickness and want, you'll give me everything I need to fight temptation, avoid defeat, and point others to the safety that can only be found in you. So, I'll wake up tomorrow and face the anxiety of not knowing, the fear of my own weakness and the reality of the fall. I will live with faith, courage, perseverance and hope. And when danger comes, and it will, I will whisper to my weakening heart, Emmanuel is your shelter and you are safe. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we, we want to thank you that you are with us. God with us is such a beautiful, sweet promise to our souls that you never leave nor forsake us. And Lord, we live in a world that is fragile. We live in a world where we do not know what is coming tomorrow and that often scares us. We hate uncertainty. We want a plan. We want a map. We want to know what's going forward. It just drives us. I'm going to pray that it will drive us to trust in you, to run to you, to cling to your promises, to know you deeper, to know you more. We want to pray that we would just come to you each and every day, relying on you for power, for strength, to get through each moment, but to enjoy each moment as a gift. 
for those of us who struggle deeply with anxiety and worry and fear, Lord, we want to pray for healing. Do a deep work in our hearts. Lord, you are always speaking. You're always teaching. You're always changing us. Help us to listen and grow us in our relationship and our dependence on you. Lord, this is a humbling this is a humbling a fact that we do not know what is coming. We're going to pray that this would humble us to just trust in you, a good sovereign Lord. So do a work in our hearts, we ask. Amen.